I feel like, and especially as women, and if they've had children, we kind of vote off these islands. We vote off our physical island. We don't like our physical body. So we're just like, you know what? We're just not going to pay attention to that. And our emotional bodies, they're kind of all over. And we don't even really know how we feel about things anymore because we've gotten really, really good at the doing so much so that we don't know how to to access the, the being, the stillness. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and neuroscience nerd, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for ambitious overachievers and recovering perfectionists who feel stretched thin and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a recovering perfectionist with big career goals, I know how frustrating it can feel to never have enough time in your day or to endlessly procrastinate because you lack the confidence to take action. I spent years understanding how our brains work and the mental habits that get in our way. Each week, I'll share actionable strategies and guest interviews to help you get relief from your to-do list, build your confidence, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Is it possible to speed up by slowing down? Today's guest, Jessica Gershman, is here to explain how yoga and meditation can help focus your mind and body so you can reach your goals. Jessica is the host of the Mom Slowdown podcast and founder of the health and wellness app, The Zen Mummy. After giving birth to her first daughter, she had a transformative moment while in a hot yoga class where she recognized that her go, go, go mindset, focusing on overachieving and self-doubt, wasn't the path she wanted. She left a career in real estate to create a holistic program that supports women, especially moms, in the crucial art of self-care. On the show today, she shares why stressing about the past and the future is burning you out, how learning to focus on what's happening right now can reduce stress and save you energy, and she shares practical strategies you can start using today to train your brain to slow down and get comfortable taking breaks. Okay, let's dive in. Hello, Jessica. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here as well. I think this is a great topic for our listeners, and I cannot wait to dive in. Before I ask you the million questions I have about self-care and slowing down, I would love if you'd share with our listeners a little bit about you, your story, kind of what got you interested in yoga and starting the Zen Mummy. Yeah. Um, I like to say a lot of suffering, <laughs> you know, hitting some rock bottoms, uh, for sure. When you really have no other choice, but to kind of pull yourself out. I'm very open about talking uh, about my struggles with eating disorders in my late teens and early twenties. And it was the birth of my daughter, Eva, just my first girl in 2009. And it was like game time for me. It was, it was a strength. And anyone that's a mother listening, you know, when you become a mother, you find strength that you didn't know you had and didn't know was possible. And what I had been unable to achieve overcoming the eating disorders, overcoming disordered thinking, you know, all of that monkey craziness uh, through traditional therapy prior to being a mom, it kind of put everything on this like fast track. And I felt very, the sense of urgency, to really get my shit together, to be quite honest, because I had to model healthy self-love for this little woman, this little girl that I brought into the world. I've now had two daughters. 
Uh, and I always say that when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And I had tried yoga before and I hated it because as an overcoming or, you know, an overachiever and recovering perfectionist and type A and, you know, with all of the body dysmorphia and things that I was coming through, it was like, I only do hard workouts, you know, that benefit me physically. Uh, but I went into a yoga class and it happened to be a hot vinyasa yoga class. It plays like Eminem. So that was like right up my alley. You know, it was like lar- very intense, uh, loud rap music. And I sat in that Shavasana, which is the pose at the end. And I felt for the first time in my life, good enough, just lying there. And I had never really tasted that sense of self, that feeling of worthiness. Uh, and anybody that's, you know, we all have some kind of mental suffering that we we suffer with or whatever our internal chatter or our negative core belief uh, that we kind of struggle with against. And for me to feel worthy and okay in that moment was life-changing. And I, from that moment forward, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough yoga. I couldn't get enough knowledge. I couldn't get enough information. You know, that led me into one of, I don't know, maybe a half dozen trainings that I've done through the course of, of my career. And then also compelled me to teach because if I was suffering and could find a little tiny moment of clarity, which every day I find these little moments of clarity or a release, a relief from the mental suffering, then I know that other women have to be in that same place. And so I wanted to to teach. It was a calling, I felt. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. I must say my introduction to yoga was very similar. We are also a community of recovering perfectionists and overachievers on this show here. And I got talked into it by a friend when I was pregnant, just because I couldn't do the regular kind of high intensity workouts that I was doing. And it was very different than I expected. And so I am so excited to hear more about the benefits of yoga and a little bit more about this as well. Uh, actually, interestingly, my four-year-old has been doing a lot of yoga at school recently. And I know they use it for them partly to move their bodies, but also to help with some learning to get in touch with their emotions because she is not as ginger as me, but pretty fiery in her temper as well. And I know that she loves yoga. Can you share a little bit about that and kind of some of those benefits for our mental and physical health? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is like the the key to everything really, you know, and it's what's so great about yoga is it it's for all ages, all abilities. Um, you don't have to look or be a certain way. You don't have to have a certain education or, you know, background or finances, you know, it is accessible. And, you know, when we think about the little people, our children, they struggle and suffer just as much and they have a hard time accessing their emotions and they have worries and anxieties, uh, maybe more so now than, than ever before than, you know, maybe decades before the kids are really inundated with stress. I mean, they pick up the stuff that's going on in the news. I mean, obviously we've come out of the last two years of an extremely stressful time on which their lives were turned upside down. But yoga is a practice of what we say involution of going inside and I have a very wise teacher that I'm so grateful to, to be a student of. And you know, he talks about the outside world. He's like, that's crazy. You know, everything that's going on out there, we have no control over that. So yoga is an invitation to start to go inside, to get in touch with what we would call like the true self, that that 
that light, that soul, that attachment to God, whatever you want to call it, that inner goodness that's in each of us, getting in touch with that and then exploring, exploring our physical body, exploring our emotional body, exploring our energetic body. And then we get to start to make changes because we become aware of what's going on and with awareness comes choice. And then we say, okay, I'm going to change my physical body and I'm going to lengthen my hamstrings and I'm going to put all my attention and focus there, or I'm going to work on my emotional body and I'm going to observe how I'm reacting to that teacher calling at this pose and I'm angry about it or whatever's going on. And, you know, for me, I, I like to say that yoga was my mirror and it was a very honest and true mirror. And I walked onto my mat all the time. And not always did I like what I saw, you know, but I left with, with an option, with a choice of saying, okay, I can now do something different, whether it's my reactions, how I communicate with people. I mean, you would ask my sister who's 10 years older than me that I was not a very nice person to a lot of people. And I think that was probably my outward projection of just not loving myself. Uh, And then in the course of the last 13 years, uh, have definitely shifted to be a more kinder, gentler, you know, compassionate, empathetic soul, because that's how I feel about myself. Mm-hmm. I really like that. And I really like that focus of, you know, turning our attention inward, because just like you said, I think a lot of times we tend to focus on everything that is going on all over the place. And whether it's something, you know, huge life change, like a pandemic or war or whatever it is, or if it's just that daily stuff, right? You know, things going awry at work or all those extra stresses that can really start to weigh on us. And we forget to kind of pay attention to how our bodies are reacting. Yeah, I feel like, and especially as women, and if they've had children, we kind of vote off these islands. We vote off our physical island. We don't like our physical body. So we're just like, you know what? We're just not going to pay attention to that. And our emotional bodies, they're kind of all over. And we don't even really know how we feel about things anymore because we've gotten really, really good at the doing so much so that we don't know how to to access the the being, the stillness. And so each of us has masculine and feminine energy, right? Of the dynamic and the masculine, which is real heavy in this country is the doing is the fire is all of that. And the feminine is the softness. That's the being that's the moon side where the masculine is the sun and the energy and the feminine is the moon. And they both exist in each of us. We tend to a lot of people, especially if they're overachievers and, and, you know, passionate individuals tend to be really good at the doing part about the masculine part, but have a trouble accessing the feminine. And for me, and I've said this so many times in in the classes that I teach, Shavasana is the hardest pose, just lying there in stillness, you know, and it's, it takes practice. And I think the good thing to remind everyone is that you can't do it wrong. Just have to show up. And it's not a, it's not, it's a practice. So you're constantly changing and evolving and growing and you get to find all kinds of different, your body's going to feel different every single day or every time you step onto the mat, your mind may be in a different place because we know it fluctuates a million times throughout the day, but you may, you just notice these things and then you get to start to change it and, and find these little moments of stillness. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's something that I have struggled with too, is being more comfortable with the doing and having a hard time slowing down, taking breaks. And even like you said, just being alone with my thoughts, whether that's in a pose where I'm just laying there and thinking, or whether it's, you know, having that moment of stillness throughout my day. Do you have any kind of tips or strategies for folks to 
start feeling more comfortable with rest or taking that time to focus inward? You know, I think, again, it's awareness and choice that comes together that uh, we have to just start reprioritizing. And it is it is a work in progress. It's something that I get reminded of. It depends on you know what you're into, if you're into journaling, if you're into note taking, if you're into schedules, scheduling in time for five minutes of just quiet meditation. I remember someone asked me at the beginning of my practice so many handfuls of years ago to sit in a 20 minute meditation. And I thought it was some kind of torture device. Like it was yeah. the most painful thing I ever experienced because we're not comfortable being uncomfortable, but there's so much to learn and those feelings of discomfort. And if we can approach it with compassion and just awareness instead of judging it or labeling it and, and, and right or wronging it. And that's, you know, our inner critic that likes to tell us how things need to be or should be or, or, or how you should be. Um, but if we get to just kind of explore it and look at it, we can learn so much about ourselves. So I advise people starting out, breathing is something we all do, right? If you're alive, you're breathing uh, and, and it's automatic. But the minute that we start to shift our attention and bring our focus to the breath, start to elongate the breath, start to manipulate the breath, that we can take our focus and the mind is a muscle just like our biceps and our quads and our glutes that we exercise. So are you going to be able to focus for five minutes right out of the gate? No, but it's a muscle. It's a practice. It's something that we just continue to show up because in that, in that practice, we get to access the present moment that's happening right now because I love to say this, we can't breathe in the past and we can't breathe for ourselves in the future. We can only breathe right now. And in this moment, this is aliveness. This is joy. This is happiness. This is freedom all in that moment. But when we're stuck in our head, either ruminating on the past, something that's never coming back that we cannot change or worrying about something that's yet to happen that may never happen, quite frankly, right? Tomorrow's not guaranteed. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, even though we, we might have a plan or whatever that may be, but we get to have a taste of that aliveness and that is joyful. Yeah. I love that. I love that you emphasize as well that it's a practice and that we need to be able to train our minds to do these things. Because I think we get these misconceptions that we maybe should just know how to relax or we should just know how to take time off, right? That's not the, not the case. That's not true. No. And I, you know, that was me. I resisted meditation. It's the last thing that I put in because it was the hardest for me, right? So they say, you know, the hardest poses are the ones you don't want to do, the ones that you really need to do. For me, it was meditation because I just felt like, well, I'm not good at it. But for something that you just need to show up and experience, there is no good or bad, right or wrong. And we start to take this off of it. And I thought, you know, I had to sit in a cross-legged lotus position, which is super uncomfortable and my back hurt. And, you know, no, yeah. sit in a chair, sit on the sofa, lie down, do whatever that feels comfortable in your body. We're all built differently and give yourself space and compassion to just show up, just show up and be curious. When you talk about having a four-year-old, they are naturally curious and we're in awe of them. And we look at it and we're like, oh my gosh, they're so precious. And look how they're exploring the world. And all of these things are like the first time that they've ever experienced and their eyes light up. If we could regain some of that curiosity, just about what's going on inside, like think about how magical our life and our world would feel. Yeah. I really like that. I know something you mentioned as well that really stuck out to me was that we get stuck, you know, ruminating about the past or worrying 
about the future. And I find I do that often. And I find a lot of folks that I work with do that as well. Do you have any kind of tips or recommendations for getting better at bringing that focus into the moment? How do we do that? You know, it's, um, again, it's, it's just having to train that muscle. So like, I love using the five senses going through and, you know, feeling our sense of touch, smelling things in the room, feeling the taste in our mouth, listening for very subtle sounds, um, you know, finding those five senses to use that as little tools. The tool may be, um, maybe you have a mantra of I am present or I am here, something that you're kind of lulling the mind into the present moment. Maybe you just sit and breathe for five minutes. Maybe getting in the present moment means you go outside and you take a breath of fresh air and you take your shoes off and you feel nature underneath your toes and you feel the sensations because you're getting back grounded with the earth. And I think anybody that's listening has experienced what it feels like to be in your head. And I I put my hands above my head, whether you can see them or not, but it's that flightiness. You know, where we're just all over the place and we're scattered and we're flighty and we're not connected. But if you take your shoes off, spend five minutes just touching the ground or paying attention to your feet, or maybe you're sitting in your office chair and you feel your seat grounded, you feel in your hips grounded and that heaviness, that can be enough to just start to draw the mind back in. And then you can go on about your day. You know, I did a whole talk on mindfulness and productivity and we spend so much time thinking about things rather than even sometimes doing the work we're thinking about the work and not actually doing it or maybe you're stuck on a fight you had with your spouse in the morning and you're ruminating on that and you know you notice 15 minutes have gone by and you're just sitting in front of a a blank document or whatever the case may be if you can see those senses of when you catch yourself getting lost and kind of in that trail or in that rabbit hole of thought use those as opportunities for like whoa I'm going to take one minute and I'm just going to sit here and breathe. And I'm going to feel my feet against the ground. I'm going to feel my seat in my chair. So it's just catching those. And I talk about awareness a lot. It's catching when the mind has gone away, right? That's what you have to start picking up on. And the more you do it, you're like, oh, shit, I just was over here thinking about this. Right. Part. Like I'm not even in the moment, you know, you're sitting at lunch with a friend and all of a sudden you're not listening to anything they're saying. You're thinking about yes. what you're doing later. And you're like, whoa, bring it back. Right. And we can practice these skills and mindfulness and presence in our interpersonal relationships with our children, with our spouse, with our friends at work. It's just kind of building that awareness practice to know when we've trailed off, give ourselves compassion and grace because it's totally normal and natural, and then just bring it back. Mm hmm. I like that. I think that's a really great concrete strategy as well as, you know, catch those thoughts when you start going up here and then focus on those senses, right? What is going on? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you see? Because that's such a great way to bring your brain's focus from way up here, right back to where it needs to be. And that's so often something we forget to do. I remember I don't, years ago, oh my goodness, I can't even remember what clinic I was working in at the time. But I remember we were challenged by one of our supervisors to start being more intentional when we eat and paying more attention to the foods. And it was such an interesting exercise because I didn't realize how much I was doing a lot of mental multitasking while I was eating. So I'm thinking about a million other things. I'm not really paying attention to that food. And what surprised me most is when I started to focus on the food, what it looked like, what it tasted like, there were things that I thought I liked that I didn't like, and then things that I didn't think I liked that I actually 
liked, which was so interesting to me. That's incredible. I mean, just by bringing that awareness, you discovered something new about yourself. You became curious about, you know, your preferences. We live, and it's just human nature. We live a lot on autopilot. We just go through the motions and we're not really participating in our life. And, you know, whether you've driven somewhere and you're like, oh my goodness, how did I get here? Or, you know, the day gone has gone by and you're like, I don't even know what I accomplished today. You know, and it's in those moments that, you know, we can start to experience presence and like how, how joyful for you to discover something about yourself at whatever age you're like, wait a minute. I thought I liked Brussels sprouts. I don't, you know, I thought I didn't like kale. I do. I love it. You know, it's just so interesting that when we start to bring our focus and attention inward and into the present moment, what we can discover and experience. And, you know, life is really hard and it doesn't negate the ups and downs. It's not going to stop you from experiencing loss or grief or, or a bad day or a breakup or whatever the case may be. It just gives you a skill set to ride that wave a little smoother. And I think that that gives us and empowers us to choose joy in, in those hard moments. And when we can start to build these skills, when when we're not experiencing a loss or, or a trauma or whatever we may be going through, we're better prepared. I talk about like building a wellness toolbox or a mental health toolbox and what that looks like. And so, you know, on yoga, when we bring it full circle, you get to practice these skills in a really safe place because your mat is a safe place. Right? No, no one gives a shit what you look like on your mat. It's just you and your mat and your breath and your body. And you can practice what does mindfulness in this moment feel like? What does breath awareness feel like? Can I practice my you know five senses? Where's my mind today? And so it's a safe place to kind of hone your craft. So that when you come up against something in life unexpected, or so there's a wrench in your plans, or you do experience, you know, grief or loss, or whatever the case may be, you're more equipped to handle that. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I know that if I sit for five or 10 minutes that I can start to collect and maybe feel, get in touch with that grief if you need to and cry it out and, you know, really experience the sensations. And we just have lost that skill set over time. Yeah. I know one thing that I hear a lot of folks say that holds them back from taking those pauses or focusing on self-care is that sometimes our brains give us this belief that we're lazy or we're not working hard enough or rest is a bad thing. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of how we can overcome that belief? Yeah. So each of us has uh, like two voices, let's say, you know, the devil on your shoulder and the angel on your shoulder. And the inner critic voice is the voice that wants to kind of give bitterness to the experience, right? So it's the voice in your head that wants to tell you how you should or shouldn't be, whether you're good enough or not good enough, what you did right, what you did wrong, what's who's keeping score. That voice in our head is keeping score of everything that we're doing. And so the biggest practice to start with is learning to recognize that voice. When it's saying, oh, you're sitting for five minutes, you're lazy. You know, recognizing that that's not real, you know, that's not you, that's not actually in reality, that's the inner critic kicking up that stemmed from at some point as a child, you know, we developed it to keep ourselves safe and to develop in a world or whatever the case may be. And we just start to disengage. I'm like, okay, that's not really happening. I'm going to come back to the present moment, to the breath. Because we all have that negative self-talk. We all have a story about ourselves. Uh, and it just 
is time and time again, just committing to the perspective shift. Uh, I just interviewed a, a gentleman that worked with inherited trauma and it was talking about releasing whether it's attachment trauma or inherited trauma. And it's like six times a day going in and spending five minutes and feeling the senses and feeling your breath or working with just present moment that we can start to actually change our brain. You know, we know that our, our brain can change and so that we can not only build a skill set, but that we can actually modify our brain so that we experience less of that inner critic. I mean, that is the goal because that's not comfortable. Nobody likes to be told what a terrible person you are all the time, right? And we've all been there. Like what's going on in your head is crazy. What's going on in my head is super crazy. You don't want to know what's going on in here. But the more that we can start to disengage from that, and again, it's that practice, the more that we can sit with awareness, the more that we can sit with an experience, even if maybe you messed up. I mean, when you look at it in reality, it's just a choice doesn't necessarily say anything about you as a person. You don't have to be good or bad because of a decision you made. It could be just a decision. And we start to take the labels off and then whew, mind's blown. I mean, the potential opens up and, and, and we really start to see our perfection that's there all along. Yeah, absolutely. And what you mentioned earlier too, about being curious about those thoughts and not judging them in that way as good or bad. And I think it's really important to emphasize that, you know, this is normal. We all have that inner critic and we all judge ourselves and say horrible things to ourselves sometimes, because I think at the moment, sometimes it does feel very much alone, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I am such a terrible person for thinking this way. I'm such a failure. Everyone else seems to have their act together. How come I can't figure it out? Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. And, you know, my response to that, and I, I talk about it with my girls all the time is just starting to write this stuff down. And you imagine the way that we speak to ourselves in our, in our quiet moment, like we would never talk to anybody else. No one would like us. We would have no friends. No one would be around us. Our children, you know, we would never talk to our children the way that we talk to ourselves or, you know, we wouldn't talk to our spouse that way because it's really awful. You know, and it becomes a voice that gets build up. And it just depends on what you empower. Are you going to empower this, you know, voice, this critic in your head that's telling you a story about the experience, or are you going to be in the experience? You know, that the more that we can start to disengage. And again, it's that awareness. Can you take moments a couple times out of the day to just build that awareness practice of like, when you find yourself getting caught in that dialogue and the critic says, whatever it's saying about you and that experience, can you jot some notes on it? How did you feel when it said that? You know, I like to, I did a meditation and I kind of gave my inner critic a face and a name. And, you know, I find myself being like, "Mm, no, thanks, Jordan, not today. And, And it just is a silly kind of thing, but it lets me know that I don't have to participate in that chatter. And that it truly is just chatter. And we start to take the power away from the inner critic and start to take our power back. Yeah, I like that. I've heard that before as well, giving your inner critic a a name and a person that you can be like, ooh, no, thank you. I had to try this. I have not tried this yet, but I'm going to picture her and give her a name and be able to brush her away when she is not benefit. Yeah, just listen to that voice, right? I think having a tone for the voice too. And just so you're like, and she, mine is like real bitchy. And it's like, me, yeah. me, me, you know, Jessica, yeah. you suck yeah. or whatever the yeah. case may be, right? I'm like, mm, okay, Jordan, no thanks. You know, and then just kind of laugh it off again. It's a practice. Yeah. 
Well, fantastic. So I am always looking for book recommendations. What's one book you'd recommend or what's something you're reading right now that you'd recommend yeah. to others? It happens to be right here. I'm yes. reading. Oh, that's my checkbook. That's not really. <laughs> um, Soul Without Shame by Byron Brown. And this is all about disengaging the inner critic. This is a great one. Uh, both my husband and I are reading it in our little book club of two. Uh, and so it's just fascinating when you start to work with the inner critic and the, or what in this book, they call it the judge, how prevalent it, it really is in your life and how infiltrated it is into everything that you do. And it's just a really interesting journey to start to recognize that, you know, and both my husband and I now can be like, Oh man, my inner critic was loud last night, you know, or then, and we can talk about it. And when we're able to talk about things out in the open, it takes the shame away. Yes. Right. We get to take that secrecy off that shame, that feeling of isolation. Like we're the only one that's, you know, we're, we're bad. We're wrong. We're the only one. No, we are all connected. We are all having and sharing an experience. And the more that we can talk about it with a friend or your spouse or whatever that, you know, the more that we get to disengage, we take the power away, we take the shame away, and we start to feel better. Yeah, it really gives our brain some perspective, right? Where we take that from here, where we're keeping it so close and personal to something that's outside of ourselves, and where we can give it some distance and look at it in a more you no, know, maybe objective or less self-critical way, doesn't it? Yeah. And even laugh about it. I mean, I, you know, I'll say for me as someone, like I said, who suffered from disordered eating and having that chatter, I learned early on that naming it takes the power away. So, you know, if I'm able to go to my husband and even as vulnerable as it is and scary, because I have to go out and be like, man, my eating disorder chatter is really kicking up. And I was having a hard time last night. All of a sudden I'm like, boom, I feel a little lighter. I'm not carrying that weight in there, you know, that's kind of festering and, and then I'm pushing aside. And so, yeah, I think it's super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is fantastic. Some great strategies. And like I said, some really practical and concrete strategies that we can start using to start taking some space, start slowing down a little bit and finding that connection with ourselves again. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Fantastic. If folks want to find out more about you or they want to work with you, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a wellness app. It's called the Zen Mommy. Uh, I have the podcast, which is a great place that all women can show up and hear a piece of themselves is called Mom Slow Down, uh, at least for now. And, uh, and you can find me on Instagram at the underscore Zen underscore mommy or my website, which is the Zen I would love to hear from you. Uh, and yeah, and, and just reach out, DM me. Oh, fantastic. I'll put all those links in the show notes for the episode as well. So folks can find you more easily. Thank you, Jessica, one more time for being here. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for today. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and this is the Bold Life Podcast. 